Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. My name is Nate Wagner. I am one of the pastors here at Portico Church. It's wonderful to be here with you on the Sunday. We are in a short series just through the month of February looking at renewal. How are we renewed? How does God renew his people? And this is a series that is meant for um, really for everybody, but we're looking at the Christian experience and just acknowledging that sometimes it can be hard, that sometimes we can feel dry, sometimes we don't um, experience the joy of our salvation at all times. But it's also a really good series to kind of explore what Christianity is about, because we're looking at these, these fundamental, these first principles of the Christian life. This is how God relates to us, how he feeds us, how he gives us life. And so last week we looked at rest and worship, and this week we are going into the word. And when we're talking about the word, it's this massive concept. And so we're not going to say everything that there is to be said about it because we would be here for way too long, but we are going to say some very important things. And we're going to look at Scripture to tell us what Scripture does, because this is God's Word. It's how He reveals Himself to us. And so when we are opening Scripture, we're not just reading another book. It's not waiting for us to kind of find the meaning that the author has and interpret it on our own. It interprets itself. It tells us how to read it. And so in um, opening the word, we are coming under the authority of God. And so there's a humbling aspect to it that we have to just acknowledge up front because we are saying that as God's people, we are under the word, not over it. We don't determine meaning. Meaning is intrinsic to it. And it helps us understand what God has for us. And so we're going to be in Psalm 119 this morning. Psalm 119. And if you have done like a Bible in the year plan and you've made it through the Psalms, the Psalms are fun to kind of get through. You feel like you're making some headway. Um, Usually they're fairly short, but then you get to Psalm 119 and you're in it for like, you know, 10 minutes or something crazy. But it's a long Psalm. And it's a long psalm because it's a psalm about the word. It's a psalm about God's revelation, about his law, and how that intersects with human experience. And within the psalm, there's all these stanzas, and it actually corresponds to the Hebrew alphabet, and it goes from the beginning of the alphabet to the end of the alphabet as a way of telling us God's word comes to us in every single imaginable experience of life. And so it's a really helpful psalm, and understand it that way. When you're reading it, it's going to feel very repetitive, but there's little nuances to it that show you, hey, this is the experience where God's word comes to you. This is the phase of life that God meets you in through his word, and how he continues to feed you and to give you life through it. And so we are going to pick up in verse 25, and we're going to look at one kind of section, one stanza of this massive psalm. 
and it's going to be through verse 32. And I'll just set this up a little bit, that this is um, a part of Psalm 119 that meets us in our despair. And that's not the only place where the word meets us. The word meets us in all places. The word meets us in our joy, in our successes, in our victories. But I think when I was thinking about renewal, that sometimes when we are in despair, we are primed for the life that the word brings us in a special way. And so as we read this, I want to, um, I want to seek the Lord with you. Because here's what my desire is from this series, but also from this morning and today. It's my prayer for this church, for you, is that you will love the word. That you'll treasure it. That you wouldn't just see it as an obligation or feel guilty about it, but you would actually love it. That you would desire it. And I think what you, when you see what it does, how it meets us, and then the effect that that has on us, that is going to produce a love for the word. And so you can read this with me. You can turn there, and I'll read it out loud for us. Psalm 119, verses 25 through 32. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you um, in fellowship with David, in fellowship with a man who knew what it meant to be dry, to be weary, to be burdened with guilt and shame, to feel remorse and regret over where his affections, where his worship had taken him. And so, Lord, I ask that you would prepare us to receive your word. That we don't receive it as a brain on a stick, and we also don't receive it without fully considering it. Lord, but that you would use every part of how you have made us to welcome your word to embrace it, to love it, that it would give us life, that it would make us alive to you. And Lord, that it would help us to, to see the immeasurable worth of your son. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the main point of this stanza is fairly easy to kind of like pull out here. And it's that God gives life through his word. God gives life through his word. And this is the initial request of the psalmist, and it's how the psalm concludes. 
And so that's an easy way to know, hey, this is what the psalm's about. It's about God giving life through his word. And when you look at how it kind of unfolds, it goes through three different distinct kind of movements. The first is a problem. So the very beginning, verse 25, it introduces a problem. And then it moves into a prayer immediately. So in response to this problem, the psalmist David, he goes to prayer. He starts making petitions and requests of God. He wants God to do something in response to the problem. And then finally, you see that it produces power. There's an action. There's a resolve that the psalm concludes with. And so we're going to walk through those three movements, starting with the problem And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a few different conversations that I've been having lately. Not with any of you, so relax. Everybody gets tight because they're like, am I going to be a sermon illustration? No. But with friends and family elsewhere. But I think that probably you've had some of these same conversations yourself. Or you've heard of people having these conversations. Because I think that there's something that happens in a phase of life where you do a lot of reflecting. And generally, it happens after kind of like an initial optimism of life wears off, where life starts to kind of hit you. And you're like, what happened? (laughs) What is wrong? Why am I this way? Why aren't things working out the way that I thought they might be? And what happens is a lot of times you'll look back into your childhood, and you think, like, well, what went wrong there? Because so much happens in your childhood because you're in need, right? Children are the best expression of what it means to be human because they are just very obviously needy, and they need things constantly, and they're, you know, matched with parents who fail miserably at meeting those needs, don't they? It's okay. We've all felt the sting. We've all had our soul's desire to be loved, to be nourished, to be cherished, to be supported, to be taught. Our souls desire and crave these things. And because we have parents who have souls that also crave those things, we're disappointed, we're wounded, we're hurt. And so the psalmist is expressing that kind of problem with this image of his soul clinging to dust. My soul clings to the dust. And this has a richness to it. This image has a richness to it because on one hand, it brings you right to Psalm 1 where you see the tree that is rooted in the stream. And the tree's roots are not clinging to dust, but they are connected to a source of life. And the tree is bearing fruit. But then remember that there's another tree in that psalm the tree that is not connected to the source, to the stream. 
and it's withering, and it becomes chaff, and it blows away like dust. And so the psalmist is describing an experience of our souls and their kind of natural propensity to connect to things of the earth for our source of life. Connecting to other people, to other relationships, to desires, to our work, to things. And all of these things are attempts for us to quench that thirst, to be fed, to be nourished. Because that's what our souls are designed for. Our souls are designed to need, to want, to long but they're designed to find their satisfaction in the Lord, in the only source that can actually provide for them. And this is really comforting for me because I've had those same thoughts. I've gone back, I've reflected on my childhood, and I'm like, oh yeah, my parents failed here, 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 and it's really easy. And then being a parent, I'm like, oh, now I'm gonna, that's me. (laughs) And I have felt what it feels like to have these love sponges require more than I can give. And I know that I'm falling short of what they need. And so this is actually a balm to me in that way. Because I'm like, I'm not supposed to be the source. I'm like another sponge set against this sponge. But I need to be connected to the source. And we all need to be connected to the source. And before we get into the prayer, before we get to asking God to do all of these things through connecting us to this source, we have to talk about dust for a minute. Because I am afraid, because I know that we have really shiny dust in this area, in our lives. We have dust that does a great job of mimicking water. We have dust in our lives that tricks us into thinking that we are being connected to a source, to something that sustains us, but when in fact we're shriveling, our souls are dying of thirst, we're wasting away. And it's because of that dust, it's because of the lie, the deceit, the deception of it, that we don't actually connect ourselves to the Word. It's why we don't love the Word. It's why we don't need it. It's why we don't go to it. It's why we go to other things. Because we think those things will actually provide us the life that we're looking for. I was talking to somebody who, after kind of describing a lot of pain that they've had, in childhood, then talked about all of the different ways that they tried to fill that pain, to fill the void that they experienced. And I was noticing so many patterns that I could relate to, different details, but it was really summed up in one word, and that is addiction. We become addicted to things. We become enslaved to things 
because we're looking for something that they'll never give. But we keep going back to them because we don't know where else to look. Or we can't imagine that God has cared for us enough to give us all that we need. And so, yeah, substances, food, sports. But here's one that kept coming back in my mind for me and for us that's unique in the last 10 years or so, is that we have kind of a mainline IV to any of these sources of things, and it's our phones, it's the internet, it's this distraction. And it connects you to various things. It connects you to relationships, it connects you to work, it connects you to entertainment, it connects you to so many different things, and it mimics the word because it's information that's constantly coming in. And so for so many of us, we think that we can solve our problems with information or we think that we can solve our longings with entertainment or with work. And so what do we do when we work up we, or when we wake up, we get our phone, we check it. Did I get any emails from work? I need to make sure that I remind myself that I'm valuable. What's the latest news story? I have to be in the know. What's the latest post on social media? I want to feed myself with it. And so I want you to notice these patterns, these rhythms in your life, where when you wake up, you go to something. Before you go to sleep, you're going to something. And those things, there's you know, different times in the day too, but those two examples, they show you There's a connection of your heart, of your soul, to that thing. It's kind of this liturgy that's taking place in your life because you think, oh, this is what will get me life. Now, you might not ever say those words or have that conscious thought, but underneath, your soul longs for it. We are all addicted to dust. We are all craving satisfaction. So what dust is your soul clinging to? And like this psalmist, like, the, like David, take that to prayer. Allow God to meet you in that despair. Because what he's doing here is he's recognizing not only is his soul connected to the dust, but it's becoming dust. His soul is becoming what it's connected to. It's like a vine or ivy that climbs up your house and you disconnect it from the source, but it clings to the brick. But after a while... It just becomes dust. And our souls are in need of being scrubbed. Our souls are in need of being reconnected. And so that's where David goes, is he prays this prayer, and he says, give me life according to your word. And in the rest of these next few verses, unpack what it looks like to have life given to you to have life restored to you by the word. And we see a pattern of prayer that brings life. There's four things that we'll walk through under this prayer that has a pattern to it. 
The first is confession. The next is meditation. Third, lament. And fourth, holiness. And so there's a pattern to what is happening here. There's a pattern to how the word gives us life. And the very beginning of it is a confession. It's David understanding that he has betrayed God. He has gone against his creator. That he understood that, hey, God is the one who gives me life. I am dust, but the Lord breathes life into me. But I've lost sight of that. I've connected my soul to other things. And so he goes to the Lord and he says, when I told you of my ways. He's almost too shameful to even detail them out here. But these are ways that he's expecting judgment for. These are things that he is feeling guilt for. This is a confession of sin, of rebellion, of transgression against the Lord. You answered me. When you're connected to the word, you are led into confession. And you're assured of God's answer in his son. You're assured of the forgiveness that he has offered in his son. And the response of that answer is a longing. So this prayer creates a longing. Teach me your statutes again, Lord. There's a humility that this produces. David is wanting to learn. He's wanting to be taught. He's wanting to be corrected. So the word gives us life when we confess and receive and are humbled and are teachable. And then in verse 27, there's another petition. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So after confessing his sin, he wants to be taught the way. He wants to, be, he wants to understand this conception of life that the word has. It's a worldview. It's how to view all of life. And he's saying, make me understand that. Clearly, I've lost sight of that. Make me understand it, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. So you see this meditation, and what the meditation is, it's a filling, it's a constant chewing, it's an internalizing of the word. And so now we're getting a little bit into what we're supposed to do with Scripture, what we're supposed to do with the word, what we're supposed to meditate on it. That's the kind of book it is. It's not the kind of book that you read once, you're like, got it, check, and don't need it anymore. What's next? No. You chew on it over and over. You slowly digest it. And this is a lifelong process. It's something that we get to do for our entire lives. We will meditate on the word and that is going to help us understand God's work. Right? You're being un- you're t- there's a receiving of understanding and then a meditation on the wonderful works of God. So we're being filled up after pouring ourselves out in confession. We are being filled up with how God sees his universe. 
or meditating on him. And in verse 28, you see a lament. That as we are filled up, we are still in a fallen world. We're still in sinful bodies. We still have indwelling sin. And so there is going to be an aspect of meditation that forces you into lament. Because you're going to see what God wants, his plan, his design, the goodness of it, and it's going to kind of collide with how the world is experienced by you. And so how the word gives you life is it actually opens up the door to lamenting. My soul melts away for sorrow. We are in need of strength. We're in need of being connected to something transcendent. We cannot answer our own sorrow. We have to be strengthened according to the word. And so we bring our laments. We cry out to God, and he gives us strength. And again, we have this kind of relationship of instant gratification with so many different things. And so sometimes we will carry that into how we should relate to God in prayer and in the word, where it's like, as soon as I lament, I'm going to feel strengthened. Here we go. And so either you're going to be really disappointed when that doesn't happen, or you're going to fake it. You're going to fake that you're strong. But this is a lifelong process. This is a long-term relationship. And the Lord works deep things slowly. And sometimes he will answer it really quickly and praise God when that happens. But ordinarily, just like when we've talked about renewal, it's something that's constant and maybe slow. It's not white hot and then fading. That's the same way that the word is working life into us. As we lament, we're learning how the Lord is strengthening us. And then finally, holiness. So the prayer resolves. He's asking his last ask in this part of the psalm is that false ways would be put far from me. Graciously teach me your law. He has a newfound desire to walk in the holiness that is revealed in the law, the holiness that is to be found there. He has a newfound desire to understand how God has designed his life. And yet we know that that is something that we need God to do in us. We can't do that in our own strength. We can't become holy on our own. We need God to make us holy. We need him to do it, and he does it through his word. It's how he gives us life. In the last section, in verses 30 through 32, you see the power now at work. You see what happens when the word gives us life. And it's receiving grace from God. As we receive grace from God, we have a power. And the power is all about responding. It's in how we respond to the word. The voice shifts in verse 30. 
And all of a sudden, these lines of poetry are starting with I. First, it was God requ- or him requesting that God would do things. And now he's saying, I, 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 I have chosen, I cling, I will run. And so it's a response. The word of God gives us life as we respond to the power that it provides. So in the first, in the first response, you see a determination and a prioritiza- prioritization I have chosen the way of faithfulness. So it's an exercise of the will, right? We are set free. We are given life. What do we do with that life? I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I make them a priority. I go to them so that I know how I should live. I don't go to something else first. I go to them. I set your rules before me. There's a priority that is placed to God's word. And then verse 31, I cling to your testimonies. Wow, this is beautiful. Started out, I'm clinging to dust. Now, I cling to your testimonies. He is being, being connected back to the word, back to the source. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. It's an act of complete and utter trust. When you're clinging to something, you're not like letting a hand free to cling to something else. No, it's a full-bodied cling. This and this alone is going to be my source. And so just as that image of clinging to the dust kind of produces this um, sense of dread, of dying, of fading, clinging to the testimonies of the Lord gives us confidence. It gives us a sense of life. But it is trusting him. It's trusting that, yes, Lord, we are not reserving our own wisdom as a piece of our judgment. We are completely and utterly trusting your wisdom. We are connecting the outcome of our life to what you have revealed. All of the chips are on the table. Have you ever responded to the word like that? Have you ever read something in Scripture and thought, mm, man, that sounds like it's for me, but it's crazy. And I'm not going to do that because that's foolish. If you haven't, you have to. You have to. There's nothing else like it. There's nothing else like it. It's, it's hard to explain. It's probably what it feels like to jump out of a plane and pull a parachute. I don't know what that's like. I'm never going to do it. But this, it's a complete and utter counterintuitive dependence on something that then comes through in ways that you can't imagine. So when you are reading Scripture, open your soul. Allow Scripture to speak into those places that you think are crazy, that you're terrified of, and respond. Cling to the testimonies that you find there. 
because the Lord will not put you to shame. He will come through in ways that you can't imagine. And the conclusion of the psalm is, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. There's so much that connects us back to Psalm 1, and this is one of those pieces. Blessed is the man who doesn't stand, sit, or walk in the way of the scoffer, the sinner, the wicked. Blessed is the man who runs in the way of your commandments. This is a joyful obedience and a life that actually resembles the life of God. It's a joyful obedience because there's a willingness, there's a desire that's kind of connotated by the running. You want to get there quickly. You want to do it. You have a strong desire to do it. There's joy that is alluded to in that image. And then there's a response of God enlarging the organ of life, enlarging your heart as you run in the commandments. It's how he gives you life. It's how he answers that prayer. My soul clings to dust. Give me life according to your word. David wrote this, and he had the promises. He had the promises of how God was going to redeem. He had the promises of what was going to happen when God showed up for his people. And he clung to them. We don't have the promises. We have the fulfillment. Why? Because the word, the word that gives us life, was made flesh. The word, the same word that is the source of life, the same creative word that was with the Father and the Spirit before anything existed, took on human flesh. And he felt what it felt to walk in the dust. He depended on the promises of God in his humanity. He identified and sympathized and had fellowship with a bunch of people whose souls were clinging to dust. People who are addicted to pleasure, addicted to themselves, arrogant, proud, stealers, liars. He had fellowship with you in his life. And he trusted God as he poured out his soul in sorrow on the cross, understanding that he was bearing the shame, he was bearing the death, he was bearing all of the just punishment that expelled evil from God's good creation. He poured out his soul and he was given strength. He ran in the way of the commandments. And so 
what the word does, what scripture does, is it gives us this full-orbed understanding of our lives, of all the fullness and richness of our experiences, of our souls that long, that hurt, that rebel. And what it does is it gives us a way to understand it. It gives us the law. It gives us God's law. It shows us what we should do. It shows us how we fall short. It shows us God's holiness, his goodness, his character, and it shows us our sin. And so as you're reading the word, as you're meditating on it, you're going to interact with the law. And for some of us, we don't like that. And so we Google, what's an encouraging passage? And we flip to that, and that's all we read. And that's okay, read that too, but don't hide yourself from the law. Because if you do, you'll never understand that your soul is clinging to dust. And you'll never be able to pray with David, give me life, because you're finding it somewhere else, and you don't know it. But that's not all you see when you're reading the word. You also see gospel. You also see good news. You see what happens when God answers this prayer. You see the word that became flesh, that died on the cross, that said, as he was dying, it is finished. And you receive his work, his righteousness, his life, his death, his resurrection, so that you can resemble him and run in the commandments of the Lord, so that you have a new heart, not a heart of stone, not a heart that has died to God, but now a heart of flesh that's making itself large for the Lord, that is sensitive and responsive, and that is how the gospel transforms our relationship to the law. All of this is how the word gives us life, how God gives us life through the word. So cherish it, treasure it. There's so much in here, you will never get bored. If you don't like reading, listen to it. If you don't like listening to it, come talk to me, because we're going to (laughs) talk. Because God has given us his promises He's entrusted us with them. And never before in all of human history has there been easier access, has there been more resources to how God connects to us through his word. So let's steward that well. Let's make sure that our hearts don't become calloused, that the new hearts we received stay alive, that they continue to beat for the Lord. And let's do that together. Let's help each other do that. Because the word comes to his people in community, not in isolation. So we share with each other. And this is just just a quick aside. This is why in our community groups, right now we're kind of making this transition away from talking about the sermon. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But what I want to do, I want our church to have nothing in between ourselves, our souls, and this word. I want us to encounter God in his word. There's no mediator but Christ. And he has given us his spirit to help us respond 
to what he has called us to do, how he has called us to trust him, how he has called us to live for him. So let's do that together. Let's never grow weary of doing that with each other. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Your word is precious. It says that it is sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Lord, I do not want to know a lot about honey and never taste it, to never experience its sweetness. So Lord, help us to respond to your word. Help us to come to it expecting to find you there, expecting to find your heart, your love for us there. Help us to receive Christ in your word and in no other way. Lord, help us to be a people that hear the word of Christ as their shepherd and follow him as his sheep. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.